Good morning everyone. Easter day has finally arrived after our long journey through Lent that has perhaps felt even longer than usual this year with all the restrictions placed on us in order to keep everyone safe and well. As we've made our way through the New Testament looking at so many different ideas of being church, I wonder what stands out in your mind most right now. I guess that we will all have different things because as different people we approach things in different ways. This is true too of the four Gospels in our Bibles. They are written by four different individuals with four different approaches and therefore four different books. There are some stories that cross over different books and some that don't. There are some ideas that are exactly the same and some that with a different twist can make us think about those things in a different way as we study them some 2,000 years later. Our passage from Mark's Gospel today is one of those. In my Bible, and perhaps yours too, there are a couple of extra possible endings to the writing, and this in itself is very intriguing. Why? Hold that thought for a few moments. Our reading today comes from the earliest manuscripts and stops very abruptly at verse 8, leaving both the women who had been to the tomb and us bewildered and confused, perhaps. The two Marys and Salome set off to the tomb as the Sabbath is over. They want to anoint Jesus' body with the spices that they have bought. The sun is just rising, and as they approach, the thorny thorny issue of the stone comes up. They didn't prepare very well, did they? Spices, yes. Dirty great stone that needs to be moved, no. So you can imagine their surprise at seeing the stone already rolled away. Questions surely went through their minds. But if so, they were not articulated such that Mark recorded them. Let's think about Mark for a minute. What is his gospel all about? For many years, it did not attract the attention of great expositors of scripture at all. It was deemed all too brief to be useful and its style and language are perhaps too straightforward to need much thinking through. Matthew and John's Gospels were much better for use in public worship, particularly for Holy Week and Easter. The Gospel begins by explaining that it is a book of good news. It proclaims that this good news is found in the person called Jesus, the Messiah. To those of us reading this, it would have been like announcing that this is a book about someone's new reign being inaugurated as Rowan Williams puts it. And in fact, the very first words of Jesus recorded in the book state that the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Chapter 1 verse 14. This is Mark's summary of the whole of Jesus' preaching. It's an announcement that says God is taking over. It's a book about change, about how the world came to look different back then. As we read it today, we can see this is not just a chronicle about someone in the past, but about how that person's life, and of course death, alters the shape of what is possible for you and for me today in 2021 and beyond. Mark's writing style is that of lots of short, snappy stories with a punchline. Some question if Mark was just a gatherer of anonymous folktales rather than the writer of a gospel narrative. But looking more closely at the writing, it is clear that Mark thought very carefully about how he placed the stories. To be fair, real chronology is not obvious, 
but he's trying to remind his readers of things said previously so that they can join up all the dots, so to speak, and grasp the whole message of the Gospel. There's much more that could be said about all of this, but let's save that for another day and return to our text. We left the ladies noticing that the stone had already been rolled away. They enter the tomb and see a young man in a white robe telling them not to be alarmed. They were alarmed. A perfectly normal reaction, I would say. When things are not as we expect, we are alarmed, aren't we? Either with fear or with excitement, depending on the circumstances. This is one of the fear ones of that, I'm sure. He continues, telling them who they're looking for and explaining that he has risen. The young man indicates the place where Jesus has been laid, now an empty space. What thoughts were going through their minds now, do you think? His body's been stolen, perhaps? As these thoughts race around, the young man continues to speak to the women, an instruction in the form of a message. Go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, there you will see him just as he told you. This message is the key to the whole of this gospel. He has risen, he is not here, brings a dramatic reversal to the whole of the narrative of the past few chapters which seem to end in the abandonment and the death of the Messiah. The women are told to look in a new place to see Jesus and they need to encourage others to do the same. Perhaps they had forgotten Jesus' comment in chapter 14, 28, toward the end of the Last Supper that they shared together. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. This potential throwaway line in Mark's recalling of that meal that interrupts the passion narrative we recall suddenly comes to life on this Easter day. Why were the disciples not prepared for an appearance of Jesus to his disciples in, the Galilee, in Galilee? As readers of the whole story, are we? Verse 8 then falls like a bombshell on the whole story. The carefully nurtured expectation that the women will do as asked that which needs to be done, that Jesus' prediction will be fulfilled, is blown away. Why? Because the women flee and tell no one anything. This gospel ends with no resurrection appearance at all, no glorious epiphanies as everyone realises who he is in their new encounters. How can this gospel end in this abrupt, unfamiliar fashion where everyone really does let Jesus down? This ending has no closure to it. It's a story adrift in the hands of the writer. Or is it? In one sense, this unfinished story puts the ball firmly in the reader's court. We have to get to work, make decisions about how the story continues. But in another sense, Jesus remains firmly in control of the ball. None of our endings can contain him, just like the tomb with its great stone couldn't. Jesus always goes before us, beckoning us on into the new future, to our own Galilee, to our own everyday lives. So what does that look like for us now in 2021? As we've spent Lent looking at what it means to be church together, what did happen all those years ago that means we are thinking about this today? Using the other Gospels, we can see that Jesus did indeed meet the disciples in Galilee eventually, and thus began a whole new way of life for them, that I don't think they could possibly have comprehended before that amazing resurrection day. We only have to read again the passage from Acts 
to see the hot-headed Peter change to be the accomplished preacher and teacher who recognised that God is in control of all things. As they met together in Galilee, the disciples learnt about the new roles they were going to play in living God's story and telling it to others, as Hannah Steele has encouraged us in her book about this, about how the church is to be the storyteller in every generation. Just listen again to what Peter says. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. God is indeed still building his church teaching people how to be the people he has always intended them to be, the people with the message of good news for all, and this includes us. So being church today is all about passing on the message, the message the women in Mark's Gospel seemingly were unable to share. Perhaps that's why those extra verses are potentially added to the Gospel. Was it felt important that a more complete picture needed to end the writing really? There is lots of debate about all this amongst scholars and theologians, but for me I am struck by those eight verses we've read today and what they tell me about being a disciple of Christ and a member of his church. They tell me that I am to live a life of expectancy. The women were surprised. It is as if their memory of any hope for the future that Jesus had told them about was exploded with that bombshell. Rowan Williams says this, the text as it stands tells us that speaking about faith will never be easy because when the first announcement of the truth was made, the witnesses couldn't cope. Just as with the stupidity of the apostles throughout the gospel, the reader's own bewilderment and incomprehension is signalled in advance. In other words, being witnesses is tricky from the word go, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Jesus continues to beckon us, us on into the new future. In these last months, we've endeavoured to be church together as best we can, not being able to do things in the familiar ways. And although we've been able to gather to get, not been able to gather together very much, we've still been church. We've learnt new ways of doing this that have enabled us to realise that we are, we are the church, not the bricks and mortar under whose roof we gather. As we begin to recover from the strange year we have had, there will be in every part of life a reshaping of the everyday, from the ways in which we can go shopping to how we might have an appointment with our GP. This is also true of us as church. As witnesses, we are called to share with others. That will not change, but how we do it probably will. Reshaping our life together is part of that call of Jesus. No, his summons to metanoia, to making a change of mind that he declares in Mark 1.14. The one that Peter made on that day when he first followed Jesus. The same one that you and I made in the past as we too followed our Saviour. Our reshaping is important for those who will follow in the next generation. Let's be the church Jesus needs us to be for them so that we can say to them, look, 
he is going ahead of you to your Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Amen.